March 25, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro's show. Have you ever heard anything about philosophy? Well, uh, I've well, you read, actually. I'll tell you what I've read. You know these books that they put out, uh, that they, books, this made simple, that made simple, law of science. So. Uh-huh. Well, they got one called philosophy made simple. Uh-huh. Well, I read that. Well, that's the only thing I actually read all the way through. And I bought a few books, little things, and something I picked up about language, truth, and, uh, logic. You know, like stuff like that, I just picked up um, something I get into, man, and I don't get any further than the first few pages, you know, and then I start looking around and try to find things. What do you think you're looking for? Like, uh, Being under the influence of 
grandfather, he was the dominant character in the, in the family. He was the most uh, well-versed, I guess, politically. He was most active, you know, than my father was a tailor, but he never, he never seemed to say too much. He just went about his business, that was it, you know. But uh, my grandfather, he was pretty militant, you know, politically inclined and religion was his fear, you know. So that's what I grew up in that.
show happy thursday uh although for my guest it's friday <laughs> uh we started off the show john coltrane talking to august bloom 1958 a little exit i think it was an hour spiel this is like a couple minutes and then uh dj smallcock would love him and uh brother matt love grotto pleasure point still quitting quarantino mode but i'm not totally man alone because those estonian Software engineers with their scat invention. I got Lucas Sabella from Sydney. Welcome aboard, Lucas. Hey, good day. How you doing? Yeah, um, really good to have you aboard. Uh, how, how are you sitting with the floods? Well, the floods are—they—they didn't really hit where I am in Sydney. Like, there's there some you know filled up drains and stuff, and driving around was a bit hectic, but um. It was mainly around the river areas that had the had the flooding. Like my brother's place almost got flooded, and but um, we're we're, we're sitting pretty where we are. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's uh, people, you got to realize they're the other side of the equator. So our winter, their summers, spring, fall. You know, it's like the other side. They even got different stars and stuff. Okay, but. Uh, uh, topsy turvy world down here. Yeah, you know I had a. In fact, we'll play some music a little later from him. But uh, a cat from Tasmania, Ben Salter. Yeah, where that? Yeah, I think he's where that trippy. The guy who won all the money gambling, and he built a trippy museum. Oh yeah, David Walsh. And I think, uh, in fact, uh, the, the bass man from Violent Femme. Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee guy. He he runs it. It's like underground, right, or something. Oil the Brian, what runs Monophoma, which is a festival every January. Yeah, he um, does that too. Yeah, he does that too. Yeah, Brian Ritchie. Yeah, it's the guy. that's his name. And uh, kind of the like the a bass, but like acoustic guitar, not not a stand up. But yeah, uh, let's get into you, man. I love this music you said. <laughs> it's a fucking mind blow. Much respect. Thank you. So I want to get into your journey through music. Uh, uh, Really, Lucas, bring your uh, earliest musical memory, please. 
earliest musical memory. Well, look, there wasn't much music in my house. Like, um, my parents didn't really play play music in the house. So, um, I guess radio and and stuff. I don't know. Like, the first things I ever got into was like maybe in excess in the mid '80s or something like that. Like, um, my brothers were in, got into metal, so I guess I started listening to metal. Um, quite young. Um, and then you, know, I, I was always attracted to things that were different. So started discovering punk and goth and alternative music in general in the late eighties. And then when I started getting into industrial music, I learned of a record by Boyd Rice where he had holes drilled in the, in the record so they could be played off access. So. I guess yeah, there first, was there was two holes. I had that first forty-five. There was two holes, and one was in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pagan music. So, it being from the Gold Coast, I couldn't buy that record. So I decided instead of buying it, I'll just replicate it on any old seven-inch. So I started drilling holes in my records. Um, <laughs> it's, I guess that's where my musical journey began. Um, ah, so you're saying the pad Gold Coast? So it's like by Brisbane, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just south of Brisbane. Yeah, right. So I there's no alternative record stores there. We'd have to go to Brisbane to find music. Um, I'm there's no alternative radio there, so we could barely get Triple Z out of Brisbane if we're on a clear day. Um, well, so I'm, was, I'm, I'm, without I'm, pre-internet days, it was really hard to find out about things, let alone buy things like pagan music by Boyd Rice. Okay, so, but I'm curious about just the musical situation. You're saying there was no musical instruments in the pad you grew up in. No, no, there was not much of a musical family. Like, um, I guess it was, there was an opera singer on my mum's side, but the, besides that, the, there's. But yeah, there, there's nothing there to play on in the house. What about at school? Were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? No, no, I can't sing for shit. Um, <laughs> I do have a memory of um trying out for choir and being politely told to go. <laughs> and, and no, no, like uh trumpet or clarinet or march uh, snare drum or shit like that oh we did viol violin lessons in in primary school i think everyone had to do it to see if they had talent and um i think i was one of those other people who was told that they didn't have talent and was moved on yeah i got told <laughs> with the clarinet in seventh grade his name was mr luna he said what mr watt you try hard but you know why don't you uh you know Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting my time. They looked at the class. Stop wasting our time. So yeah. I never took another music class. I was like 12 years old. It crushed me. But luckily I found a buddy. So so did you find anybody at school? You know the garage band thing, the be bedroom band, the basement band? Did you get into shit like that? Yeah, that, that happened eventually. Like As I said, like I started disassembling records in my bedroom and I did that for a little while. But then I started getting... Uh, so finding friends that were into alternative music and industrial music, and we we started a garage band of sorts where I'd, I'd clang on bits of metal, a la Einstein de Neubauten style kind of percussion. Um, did you ever hear? Did you ever hear of that guy called Zev? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I've seen I, him many times. Almost killed at his gigs by his own stuff. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Oh, we lost him. Cancer got him. But man, he he was. He, he was beautiful, man. He was an incredible cat. And and people got to understand, you know, this is 70s punk, so it could be anything. It didn't have to be fast guitar. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, some of the early punk was just bad rock and roll, but um, I really appreciated when it started getting abstract, like the no-wave movement, where, where the idea of punk was converted into 
you know, just a, a more anti-music rather than um, just trying to be sloppy and, and anti-establishment because I think it was more to the punk idea and then it kind of moved into noise where I kind of yeah, but, levitated to it. But there was some early stuff too. The Throb and Gristle is right way back, you know. In fact, they're using money from the Pink Floyd album covers <laughs> to finance that yeah. shit. True, there's lots of anomalizing music through history that don't fit the, the trends of the time for sure. Yeah. Now, there was a great band, a kind of sloppy rock and roll maybe, but uh, The Saints. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, I know from the Stooges playing there three times in Australia, uh, there was a big love for that, too. So maybe some of the sloppiness was because they were just learning how to play. Yeah, I think um, I often think that, like, the whole grunge thing is more an Australian thing than a Seattle thing because the Australian punk was more laid back, um, sloppy rock and roll, which kind of what is grunge in a, in a way. And like a lot of the Adelaide bands all have that kind of sound, and and the Saints and other things like that. But well, what about bir- what about Birthday Party and then uh, Beast of Bourbon? I mean, that stuff was kind of like oh, this, yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, artists come out that you know just explore something completely new. But Melbourne was really fertile ground back then. The whole little bands movement, which was concurrent with New York No Wave, like. Um, just doing some amazing shit, lots of amazing bands. Um, oh, like DNA? And throughout Australia that didn't really get either recorded or much fanfare anywhere else in the world. Well, did that band uh, that you guys met where you were doing the percussion, did you guys do gigs? No, no, we never gigged. We never gigged. I didn't gig until I moved to Sydney um, years later. Okay. Um, there was no gigs on the Gold Coast. There was no – there was a punk scene. Like, I used to go see some punk shows. Um. But nothing, no experimental music on the Gold Coast I ever saw. Oh, I, had, you know, I, I later played there with Secretaries Three um, in, in the venue that used to used to haunt when I was a teenager. Yeah. But um, that was years later. But um, it wasn't so much of a kind of music I liked on the Gold Coast. I have to go to Brisbane. Sure, sure, um, sure. That kind of thing. And uh, I always thought Melbourne was more of the rock. Uh... Music town than Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Mel- Melbourne is. They've got lots of venues, lots of musicians. Yeah, musicians gravitate to Melbourne, so it has a very fertile scene for that reason. Um, Sydney is a uh, capitalist town, and um, the all the venues have closed and turned into little gambling casinos. And yeah, it's really hard here now. It's not an easy place to be a musician. Oh dear. But, um, well, let's let's get back into your past there. Uh, did you ever, like, tr- uh, try to do uh, the academic thing, like learn about music in school, like, uh, uh, you know, college and stuff? No, I, I, I barely passed high school, so... Um, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, kind of, I, I kind of finished high school, went to, went to Sydney, um, found myself accidentally with a radio show, and um, when I got the radio show, I was doing a graveyard shift, and... It, I just got bored with playing other people's records, so I started re, re going into those bedroom experiments with dis, 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 dis vinyl and um, re putting it back in. So I guess that that track "Love Him" is an example of some of my work back then in ninety two, ninety three, when I was doing the radio show. Where I think I had three record decks, um, or playing at different speeds. So I had those sixteen to seventy eight players, and then I, I would have instead of tone arms, I had 
wires connected to bendable wires connected to the cartridge head so I could place them anywhere Damn. and I have a bunch of them all over the record and um, they'll kind of do the loop thing but instead of just doing one loop they'll play a few different rotations before the wire got so tense it would skip it back to the start again so it was, <laughs> wasn't as um, it wasn't as obvious as, as loops and then I'd have a, a glove with styluses on the end of my fingers and play the records with those and that way I could kind of shimmy the vinyl, the needle in the vinyl backwards and forwards so you get this warbled scratching effect rather right. than normal backwards and forwards scratching and, and and things like that. And um and I wasn't really immersed in the local Sydney scene as much at the time. I always had an interest in experimental music and stuff and found myself with a show. But then um I was doing this show and uh, Oren and Barchi and Robbie Avonane, who run the What Is Music Festival, heard, heard my radio show and contacted the station and, and found me and said, we want you to play at our festival. And I said, yeah, that would, that would be great. And then that's, that's when I kind of started gigging, I suppose. Okay. When you had the show, you were DJ Smallcock? Yeah. Okay. And, and so what, you make the transition to A. Combi? Oh, I should give you the Smallcock story. Um <laughs> Um, like, yeah, 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 but it announces Mike on the radio and you, you turn it on and the speakers turn off and, um, so, you, so it doesn't feed back. Right, right, so mutes. I, I, brought a radio, I brought a radio, a little boombox into the radio station, uh, put the announcers' mics on the, on the speakers, tuned it into the station, and then I started feeding the radio back station on itself while playing the village people and, and, and turning the radio, mics on and off in rhythm to get these kind of feedback rhythms to, to you can't stop the music. Um, and then someone <laughs> called up the station and said, Get off the air, smallcock! And then hanged up on me. That's how I became TK Smallcock. So we gotta, we gotta give yeah. that unknown person. Yeah. yeah. Contributor. Look, I wanna play, because we'll get into a copy, uh, Plight of the Bumblebee. Okay, great.
Watch for Pedro Show. That was A. Combi with Planet of the Bumblebee. And after that, Dustin Wong, brand new. Dustin's got a new record out. And this steaming body heads home. It's called uh, uh, Eternal Body Hot Spring. That's what it is. Uh, Onsen inside his body. It's a beautiful record Dustin just did. Comes out next week. Guy and Boy Voice is brand new. Bob, <laughs> you know, he's got to put out <laughs> at least five albums <laughs> in the next six months, right? And Free Agents, beautiful. Obama's Prendon and Magic Were Marbles. This is a brand new from their uh, archive. They got some cat uh, from Immer helping them with uh, excavating, uh, like, I don't know, thousands of songs they made in 40 years, maybe five gigs. Huh? Hands Rotten after that with Wild Wild Dry out of Switzerland. Peeled Hearts Pace. This is another one of your projects here, Lucas. Uh, Hearts of the Desert from Leval. I, I, uh, yeah, some club was closing, so they needed benefit to stay open, and they asked me to put some bass, and the club's still open. Hellbeans after that, also South London. Spikes. And then finally, Justice yelled him, uh, 020604. So it might be uh, June 4th, 2002 in Beirut, Justice yelled him. So uh, tell me about A Combi. Well, A Combi was my, um, my Combi van. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Volkswagen. Like... Yeah. yeah, it's Volkswagen, yeah. So I had this Volkswagen uh, and I I rolled it coming down Mount Tambourine one day. <laughs> oh shit! A funny, funny, funny story. I did a complete roll, landed on my wheels, and kept driving. Fuck! But, um, <laughs> I was running late. Okay, anyway, the okay. windscreen was smashed in, the roof was caved in a bit, and um, <laughs> so the body was a write-off, but the engine was still good. Yeah. So I, in, instead of getting rid of the car, I, I, I switched it out with a, a different body. I found a, a wreck and um, put the motor in a new body. But when I switched the radio out, I don't, I still don't know why, but it, it kind of like amplified the entire van. Like it turned the van into a contact microphone. I think it was badly <laughs> grounded or something. So the entire van became amplified through the car stereo. So I think in some of the recordings, you can hear the windscreen wipers running on the on the windscreen. And basically, it's just you know, that static like clicking sound at the start of the track. Sure. That's when you sit motionless in the car. And the more you move in the car and stuff, the more the the, the radio, you know, the basic static sounds kind of come, come alive. So um, that was like the first record I did um, in recorded in '94. Um, just yeah, the, the car died not long after that, but I I, I love that van. Um, and yeah, it's more a document of the crazy sounds my van used to make than anything of my, my own music. That kind of like didn't happen until. Pilled Hearts Pace, which you also, I think you just played. Yeah, I did. Which was um, which was how the the turntablism, I guess, of my radio show evolved. I started instead of using decks, I started using industrial motors with grinding stones and circular saw blades and drum cymbals and all sorts of spinning discs. And instead of tone arms, I'd have knives and skewers and swords and springs amplified with um, turntable cartridges. <laughs> so it's kind of hyper turn turntablism, just just. Just radistic, you know, textural, textural percussion. That um, instead of the miking the percussive parts, I would be miking the sticks. So whenever the sticks touch something, you'd get big bursts of sound, um, and so on and so forth. So there was the like um, the whole evolution of my music practice comes from doing the doing the record player stuff, and up into the glass, which I give. You know, called the Justice Yeldon period, I guess. And I kind of see me playing the glass um, as 
playing a giant diamond tip stylus with my mouth rather than with the groove. So I, I vibrate the stylus with my mouth and that's how I get all the the, the notes when I when I, when I, when I play the, when I play the glass. So it's just a yeah, a long trajectory of trying to approach the turntable in, in different ways where I've stripped the turntable down to its basic fundamental and that's the stylus. Yeah, and you know so many DJs they just use it like toilet paper, you know, for after a meal. To, I mean, you got into it being a performing instrument. But, but oh, let's talk about that performance. At first, you're just making recordings, right? But you start doing this in front of people. Um, there, was, there was never so much into recordings. Like, um, I always loved doing, like, I, I did the radio show at first, and then I started performing a bit with the, the glasses being mainly a, performance orientated um thing like there's you know there's recordings as i think the one you played was in beirut so that that was live and most of the recordings are live recordings um there's some studio stuff i think i i gave you some of the first studio stuff you're probably playing soon but mo most of it's just been recordings up until the recent pandemic i guess like um i got stuck at home, my tour of Taiwan was cancelled, people started asking me to do streams. i never really done streams before, like, I'm a kind of like, you need to be in the room with me kind of performer, it really doesn't tra translate that well. And so for someone who never rehearses, I also have no really idea what I'm doing, I just make it up as I go along on stage and my whole, every technique, every idea I've ever come up with, with the glass has always evolved in in front of people. Like, like, that, like that tense anxiety feedback an audience gives you, it takes you a, a, a different place mentally where you can do things that you wouldn't normally do. I guess that's kind of like how I came impervious to the, the glass. Like a, all the early performances were quite, I don't know how, how to put it, um, well, you're in, the, you're in the, when you're doing performance, you're in the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I think that there's something that, that, that can never be captured in a, a studio thing. Uh, we're at the end of the first hour, yeah. March 25, 2021 edition of Pedro Show. Special guest, Lucas Sabella. Hold tight for hour two. March 25, 2021, second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show. <laughs>
show second hour start off with justice yeldon color me your color ben salter after that he, he's the cat who lives in tasmania and actually i think he was gold coast when he was a boy too burn flags and then finally i think this is a project you did in china rice corp with uh or corpse <laughs> sorry <laughs> either rice corpse with stamp on my balls so uh, <laughs> I, I got to play china 2017 maybe it's four years now and how how was your experience? Um, that was my second time in China. I did a residency there with them. They have a, a thing called Asia Link in Australia. Where they pay artists to do residencies in different countries. So I spent like six months there from that band. We did a ten city tour around the country. Um, it was it was absolutely amazing. Um, the, the the best probably the best. Um, musical gelling group of, of been in like I've had been in a couple of other bands but I've been mostly a, a solo artist but this is I really enjoy just playing with um was this Yang and, and Yang um with the the pianist and the drummer and they were just incredible people and incredible musicians and um an incredible time I, I love China it's a problematic country but um the, the people there are great and the underground is amazing um and the the name Rice Corpse is the literal English translation for the Chinese character for shit. Um, so they, they they call their their shit the cop rice, which I, I think is lovely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it paints a picture, right? Like their 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 characters are little pictures. Yeah, it it's very artistic. Uh, uh, are you still in contact with those cats? Oh yeah, we did. Um, we did a live stream together um, last year, actually, okay. um, for a Melbourne uh, a Make Me Up Club, um, Make It Up Club organised it, and so um, they, we all three of us play, 
and played in different places during the lockdown and kind of a all the vision is overlaid on, on top of each other like you know the kind of a transparency so we're all, we're playing in the playing in the one frame but on, on top of, on top of each other it's quite good actually like um I find it really hard to collaborate long distance but um I, I, I thought it worked I it's um yeah we got a saying it, here it, when it rains lemons make lemonade yeah fuck it yeah. what else just sit on your hands and feel sorry for yourself and bellyache I'm tired of that shit anyway you know uh we didn't we, we had to end last hour what and I didn't get to ask you what, what was your first live performance um the first live performance was um it's like it's actually a thing called noise fest um it was just it was um I played the combi band and I, I played that turntable contraction I told you about right I was given a 45 minute set I never played live before I broke everything in the first 45 seconds <laughs> um didn't know what I was doing spent the rest of the time just trying to put things back together and making little little tiny sounds and I was crying I didn't know what to do it was so it was so awful God, sounds like a pan shitter they like the minimalism of it even though I'm I'm mostly a maximalist, but anyway, um, after that, I always said that I would only play as long as I felt like playing, and my sets of, you know, back then were really short, and these days, about um, 15, 15 minutes typically these days, but I'm starting to do longer sets. I'm trying to get more, I don't know, just trying to get out of my head, and I know, I find if I... The 15 minutes I, I, I warm up, I find in the rare times that I've done, I haven't broken the glass and I've done I'm an encore, I can go into a even higher state. Like, because I'm so, I'm still nervous. So if I get past the first 15 minutes and manage to play on into a longer set, the rarer times I've done longer sets, I find I get into a different territory and, and make more interesting music. So I'm trying to break the habit of just, Finishing and going quickly, right. but um, that's uh, okay. hard well, habit. To... Yeah, well, you're, you're kind of bulking up, huh? So let's let's play bulking. Okay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. 
we're, we're, we're catching up on some Australian news here, people. Uh, that, that chunk of music, Lucas Sabella with Balkan, as in bulking up, right? He's, he's not going to be afraid of the 20-minute set. He's going to go all the way. Baby Island after that with Table. And then Lucas Sabella with AGC. This uh, acronym? Um, no, I just asked my four-year-old son for names for the tracks, and he just said AGC. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Same with Bulk. Balkan was one of it. My favorite was um, um, Folding Gold, but um, that was too long to put on the, um, the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would have played it. I would just probably split into parts. So uh, uh, <laughs> you were talking about Non, uh, Boyd Rice. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get, to, ever get to see him play? No, no. Never got to see Boy Rex now, play. I saw, um, I saw some non-gigs. He had an amplifier and a little box with two buttons. So there was actually three sounds because there's one button, the other button, or both buttons. <laughs> 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 and he'd be looking at me. I saw him one time at like a tiki bar, you know. And he's like looking at people as he's doing this shit laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, can I can imagine. Um yeah, like, um, I don't know, like, I think, yeah, I'm not totally sure, but I think his politics got a bit weird, and I got, oh, a, bit yeah, disinter yeah. got, got a bit disinterested in the man. Oh, yeah, 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 that happens, huh? <laughs> Orson Welles, I think, called that an inconvenient truth or something. Uh, yeah. And, you know, know human, human beings, there are. I, I was impressed as a teenager, but I'm. Um, uh, I don't, you know, I guess Pioneer and all that kind of shit, I don't know. But um, he's not one of my favorites. Well, what about some other influence? Um, well, the Japanese stuff, like um, the ruins and um, boredoms were really big, important things to me, as well as the no-wave scene, um, birthday party, she said, Einstein and Neubarten. Um, they were all early, early pivotal moments for me and stuff I still love today. Um, yeah. But it's important to have your own voice, right? It's not about uh, rubber stamp and Xerox machines, right? Yeah, yeah. I, that, that otherwise, it would be cover bands. You need to take... <laughs> you know, In your opinion, do you think there are some noise cover bands? Oh, there's lots. There's cover bands in every genre. Like people, you know, like, you know, not, there might be original music, but they're, they're a cover band because they're just doing somebody else's style. Like, you know, you know, it's like the Wolf Mother's a bad example, but not really a noise cover band. But, you know, they, um, but, you know people just taking something from the past and then reinventing it as themselves. I, I don't know, like a... I like to think I brought something new to the noise genre, and I don't think it's probably worth leaving your bedroom if you're not going to bring something new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially for listeners, maybe. Lucas, tell me some of your ideas about genre. Is it music, music? Yeah, of course. Genre is a sloppy word. Um, music is music. Um, my definition of music has always been any sound that once it makes your body want to move. Um, and I feel that um, noise can definitely 
do that. Like you go, you go to a noise gig, you feel the vibrations, you want to get up, you want to move to that noise. So if, you, if, if, if it inspires you to dance, it's music. You know, if it, it doesn't inspire you to dance, it's something else. But, um, but you know, what inspires people to dance is different um, so to different people. So, but um, for me, you know, um, I can't, my noise is, you know, it's kind of rhythmic. It moves all over the place. It's oh, it's quiet. very rhythmic, if you ask me. Yeah, it, it's not just so. It's not so cliche. I mean, it's fine in its its own ways. And plus, you got collisions. You got situations going on that the the rhythms are coming from them colliding. So it's not so uh, manageable. Yeah, um, I don't like a static wall of noise approach. I've never subscribe to the I hate people nihilism of some of the noise scene where they just like oh, I want I want them I want to scare everyone I want everyone to leave the room I'm so hardcore um, <laughs> that shit's boring to me like you there's no point in you know if you don't want anyone to leave the room why do you ask them there in the first place um, I want to entice people I want to mystify I want to sure. mystify sure. mesmerize people with, with, with my noise I want them to Focus on my sound and go on a journey with me. Right, that's what I was going to say. Take them on a journey. Take them on a journey. And that's what I hear when I'm listening to your stuff. I love it. We're at the end of the second hour, March 25, 2021. Dishwap Pedro Show special guest, Lucas Bella. Hold tight for hour three. March 25, 2021. It's the third hour of the Wap for Pedro Show.
Start off the third hour with another silly day for all you serious people. Uh, Lucas Bella, inspired by the child side of us all. Tragic comedy after that part one of After Hours Jam. <laughs> Been waiting for that one, right? Network Glass. This cat, Dor in Baltimore, he blows my mind with his... Uh, I think a lot of his stuff is done with editing, though, after he gets the sounds down. Because the stops he makes actually makes the rhythms. And this is one from a record he did called S slash T. Then finally, Lucas Abella with Best Family. Best Family? Yeah, Best Family. Of, uh, of, uh, vis-a-vis Worst Family. <laughs> no family. <laughs> Uh, well, how, what, 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 come on, what, well, how important are our titles, Lucas? Uh, not too important. I just pulled them out of my ass, really. Um, <laughs> they didn't die there? <laughs> Sometimes they died. Sometimes they should have died there. Because I, I kind of lock into them as soon as I tell them to never want to bother re- revisiting it. Um, you know. You know, I could call them improvisation one or improvisation two or untitled, but and just the first thing that pops into my mind, and, and now I've gone into the habit of just asking my son, what's this track called? <laughs> and it just makes it easy because it takes the decision-making process out of my mind. Right. Um, and I like it that way. Right, you're spreading and, some democracy. Yeah. L- l- what, what, do they come first or last? Last year, I don't come up with a track title and then improvise to that idea. No, no, yeah, but I, I ask that because Watt has to have a title or I can't write a song. And nobody I've asked that in all these years has agreed with me, not agreed, uh, taking a similar approach. So, yeah, well, I guess writing a song would probably make more sense because you probably come up with a, a chorus or even just an idea or a word to. Yeah, an spring, anchor. springboard from, and you you can come up with a title. You know, that's a good song name and the, or theme or whatever, and then write around that. But I'm exactly not being a, that's not being exactly the way I do it. It's it's it makes me uh, hold the focus, especially because I'm yeah. writing them on the bass, which is kind of strange when you give it to the other cats. They say, hey, "Fuck, why didn't you write on the cymbals?" <laughs> the kick drum or some shit like that. <laughs> right. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce this. Did your son name name this one Buriyar? Burijar? Yeah, he he spelled that out to me. It's Buring, Buring, I think.
Music for this edition, uh, Buryar from Lucas Bella, Don the Tiger, Hoyas Tien, and then finally Ninny, Lucas Bella, Ninny. Over here, that means kind of idiot. Same thing over there? Um, yeah, something like that. Again, Ernie's title. I don't know what he was thinking, but um, it is, yeah, it's a Ninny, I guess, yeah, it's um, the same, same kind of connotations if you called someone a Ninny, I suppose. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and is, is he slight? Is he showing musical tendencies? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got um, we were doing a gig in Copenhagen one night when he was about six months old. Um, popped him up on the drum kit and he just started improvising better than Chris Cassano. So <laughs> Chris Cassano, uh, he's quite <laughs> a stick man. Wow, yeah. <laughs> at six months. <laughs> It, it, was, it was six months old. I got foot, I got footage of it. Um, and then um, he ended up doing a set with a saxophonist that night. It was really good. Wow. Because, you know, I know I got other friends that are music, and, like, their kids want to go 100 or 180 degrees away from that direction. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll probably get to that. But he, <laughs> you know, I, I recently um, gave up using pedals and got into modular synthesis during the pandemic, kind of changing my setup. And he'll get up and with my patching gear and just sit there for hours just repatching it all. Um, but, you know, not, not with the music, music. And sometimes he gets up there when I'm, when I'm playing, but obviously just unpatches things. He doesn't really know what he's doing. It's a bit annoying sometimes. But um, he, loved, he loves patching that gear, but he also loves playing his slide whistle. He loves... He's always on play. He's really good on harmonica as well. Um, um, you know, yeah, just, in, just in general, I think he shows some um, shows some promise. He's he's only four. I don't really push it on him. Yeah, um, I was going to ask. Are you like good at like here's a here's the trombone? You know, here's a bass guitar. But, um, we I tend to find all his toys on the street. So like, I found him a ukulele once, and um. Some it, some of them in op shops, but you know, I, I you know, I didn't buy him a brand new Muppets drum kit or anything like that. Um, so if I <laughs> luckily find musical toys at the op shop or thrift store, as you call it, or on the street, I, I, I take him home and he and he plays with plays with those. So I'm not forcing musical toys on him, but he's got a decent collection and he likes them. But um, you know, he'll just as easily play with his Lego. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's the beautiful stage of life. Huh? Now you said you were getting into synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. Now, well, are these synthesizers with keyboards, or are they just sound making synthesizers? It's just a really expensive pedal board, to be honest. Um, but um, the beauty of modular synthesis is I can take my, I can take the the envelope of my signal and have it manipulate the parameters of other stages of my effects processing. So. My my sound is processing my sound as it goes, so it just makes the 
just makes the effect processing, processing more, I don't know, fluid, but it also stays organic because I'm not touching the knobs anymore. I don't have to change knobs. It just my signal flow changes the knobs for me and it also splits my signal into multitudes of parallel chains. So I've got to kind of play along with me in a ghostly accompaniment, I guess. Um, so my original signal in some of those recordings has turned into, you know, it's up to six different signal flows going through the modular gear being mixed down into the, the stereo mix. So modular synthesis has turned what has been a mono instrument for the last 17 years of playing the glass. Now it's a stereo instrument and actually a quadraphonic, quadraphonic instrument. Because the last two gigs I did, I asked for a quadraphonic setup and um, and been playing in, in through four different speakers and so yeah, it, it it's really changed up what I what I do. Like it's it's the same but different. Like I think it's just given it more complexity. And I guess the what the what the pandemic what the pandemic did give me was the chance. Uh, as I said, I started streaming gigs, and so that made me focus on how I was making music and the final sound much more than when I was just performing, when I was kind of lost in the performance headspace. I never really had time to sit and hone in on my gear and and really crystallize my sound. But being at home and doing these streams, I've I got more time to focus and, and change what I'm doing until I've, I think I'm getting the best results of my life because I think I'm for the first time in 17 years of playing glass, I'm – I'm trying to make something that's worth listening to at home rather than just something that it's only can really truly be appreciated in the live setting. So you're thinking more about recording. Exactly. Exactly. That's what the last few tracks, uh, they're from the forthcoming LP, I guess, um, on photostatic records or something in Brisbane. Um, yeah, the, they're all re recorded at home through this modular gear and I'm, I'm much more focused on recording than I ever have been in my entire career. I guess when you're forced not to gig for someone that loves gigging and, and does tours every year, plays as much as you can. Um, yeah, put into that situation made you have to rethink because I didn't want to stop making music. So I started focusing on re recording more than ever have before. And, and, um, and because of that, wanted to make something that you could listen to it at, at a lower volume as opposed to like early glass recordings where it's it's a live recording and it's more a artifact of uh, of something that happened than something I don't know like they're good but they're not you know I, I wouldn't sit down and listen to them but while some of these new records I think you you can sit down and listen to it and, and enjoy it on a Without really, really having to know what it is, I think you know, like um, music should stand alone as as a recording, um, aside from the the performance. Even though the performance is important, like there's still improvisations, there's still one take, no overdubs, no post effects. Like they're all, it's just all me. It's it's it's, it's a live recording, but it's um, I've just taken more. Focusing on, on what the, the on the final result is, I suppose, I guess, more than I have in the past, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interest, interesting evolution, though, because you learn that 
by living the life. It wasn't theoretical. Mm -hmm. Sorry? You learned this by real life. It wasn't theoretical. You know, it's this development that you've come to in your music. Uh, You know, yeah, look, we used to think records were only flyers to get people to gigs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been been thinking the same. Like, I I don't know if you... I honestly think it's been the the opposite. I know maybe it's a more strained experience. I don't know that... um, the records become more important than the live gigs. Like I've always, you know, you, you know when you discover a, a new local band and you, you go to all their gigs and stuff and, and you and you love them and they're live and you know their songs off by half of that, every time they play it, it's, it's different and, and, and strange. And But then, then they go to the studio and they record that music and then you get that album and then that album slowly fades away the memories of, of the gigs where the that version of the song becomes the quintessential song, the, the, the version that most most people know. And um, the looseness of the live show, the, the evolution of that song through early gigging and as, as this song gets better and better, like, it only can, you can only have these experiences with your, lo- your local scene, but, but when you live in Australia and most, most of the music from overseas comes as the as the album only like you find the music seemed to be album centric in in my in my opinion of the people probably if you if you can put out a good album you probably have a better career trajectory i suppose than if you do a really good live show but it doesn't translate to record yeah Yeah. Uh, it's recording centric industry in that respect when it I always, I always thought it should be performance-centric. Like, I think the performance should come first and the recording second. But that's a, you know, philosophical part of, part, you know, like, that's why I don't want to, you know, I'm a performer first and foremost, so I don't want to do records where I, I overdub or post-effect. I just, you know, it needs to come from me in a moment, at that moment, and um, I don't want to fuck with it afterward. I don't even edit mistakes out if there's a... A little part in the improvisation that doesn't really work. I won't just cut that out and bend the two other two together. I just leave that mistake in there and just, you know, so be it. Yeah, well, I think that's totally valid. And it's been a great honor to have you on the show, Lucas Tooley. My pleasure. Good to, good to talk to you. Absolutely, Bye. man. And when you get this new quad quadraphonic <laughs> album coming up, please come back on the show and let's talk about it, man. Yeah, if, if, if you like. Um, I totally yeah. do. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep on. I just, keep want on. Take, I just want to take this shit on the road again, you know? I, oh. I want to see it live also. So you come to SoCal here. Do some gigs. We'll do. Okay, brother. People, it's been a March 25, 2021. This Watt Peter Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>